Ladies, ladies a leisure. Ladies, ladies a leisure. Ladies, ladies a leisure. Leisure. Hello and welcome to Ladies a Leisure. I'm Lisa, and I'm all by myself today. Slajana is still recovering from the surgery. We had thought that we would get a podcast in, but uh, it's hit her a little bit hard. As many people know, when you recover from surgery, everything's just a surprise. Like what hurts, what you can do, all the things. So she's having a beautiful life, trying to get over all of that. But she is doing well. And we are working on three words of the week over the next couple weeks coming up here. So if there's three words, it's going to be three weeks. But we tailored it especially for Slajana. So hopefully in the next coming weeks, you're going to see the words binge. That's the one we're working on right now. Reading and learning. So those are our three. So if you want to follow along, follow us on Instagram as we go through it. And we chose these words because no matter what Slajana is feeling, she's going to be able to do the three words. So hopefully you can help us out. If you would also like to go along. The guest speaker series is over. That doesn't mean we won't have more guest speakers on in the future. We might have Lords of Leisure or Ladies of Leisure. So if anyone does want to do a guest podcast, I know I've asked many of my friends to help me out. But if you didn't get asked, that doesn't necessarily mean I'm not thinking of you. And the same with Slajana's friends. We don't always like to bother people. We don't always like to uh, insist that people do podcasts. So if I missed you or you feel like you very strongly want to be on Ladies of Leisure, please let me know and we'll make it happen. For, but for now, we wanted to start off September, although we're about a week into it at this point, And we wanted to get back into the groove of things. So you can also notice that some of the words, reading and learning, uh, every every time this time of year happens, I just get really in the mood to go back to school. Not necessarily the homework or actually going to school, but just learning. I start reading some books. Me and Sojana get into the articles. And so what I was going to focus on today was not necessarily a word, but as part of my binge that I was working on, I want to focus on the talent development day I went to. And if you folks are listening and thinking, well, that just sounds absolutely terrible. So that's what I've been doing for about two years is they no longer call it, you know, HRing or helping, helping people figure out their next job. It's called talent development. And it was a full throttle day with some of my fellow human resource people. And so I wanted to share a little bit of what I got out of it as part of my, you know, binge on my, and I'll be doing two more days next week. So get excited for that. I love going to conferences. I eat that stuff up. You give me an agenda packed with uh, what was one of the agenda items. It was engaging simulation and experiential learning. I was like, yes, I need a good panel on this. So I go and dive deep. So I I took a bunch of notes just thinking of what 
does this mean to me as a lady of leisure? I even had a doodle where I drew my little head on the side of my paper. I'll post it on the Instagram. And it was all the things I associate with myself. And part of it is my job. I do my job 40 hours a week. And I can't just ignore that it's now become a part of me. And I'm sure many of our listeners have that as well, where did you really think this was where you were going to end up as a lady or lord of leisure? You have these side hustles, you have these side things that you do that are a part of you. I can't get separate my mother, my wife, and my HR personality at this moment, but there are other parts of me that I wish were larger. I've talked for almost a year now about how I would rather see a large part of myself be a writer. I actually wrote down a wannabe coder. I've tried picking up coding many times. I think I'm going to try it again because I'm a masochist, but the point of asking some of those questions and making the doodle was, what are your skills? And in the conference, they kept asking skills almost as if it was separate from what you, who you are as a person. And I looked around the audience and there's a diverse audience, but a lot of them were females. And I just thought, well, This is interesting because often the questions I have and relate to how do you combine all of these skills about yourself without coming off weird in the workplace. I am a open book and actually someone said they were an open book at the conference, but that was a detriment. I walk in and if someone's like, oh, hey, how's it going? I'm like, blah. And I let people know through even a sound that that's exactly how I'm doing. And it used to be like that. And one of the presenters pointed out that if you ask his 10-year self like 10 years ago and early on in his career, if he had gotten the feedback that someone had given him, he would have been devastated. It would have sent him back a couple weeks questioning everything. What was he doing? Was he on the right track with one of his methods? But now he's in so much of a better place. So not only looking at your skills, but uh, mentorship was huge. And I know some people roll their eyes when they hear mentor, but they talked a lot about how learning through a mentor is actually sometimes more impactful on your day-to-day life than going to a class. And there are so many classes I've gone to where I'm like, I took one thing away from that. But then I think of all the nuggets that my mentors have given to me over time. And when I'm referring to mentors, it can be as simple as my mom giving me like one of her nuggets of wisdom and actually choosing to to go forth on that path. It can be one of my colleagues who has a couple years more experience and has been in the same position before. Or it can just be a friend who's having a mentoring moment where they're like, listen, I've been where you are. You can get through this. Like a fellow lady of leisure. And one of the major points they did with the conference was talk about mentoring versus coaching. And I've had both. Uh, I really enjoyed having a coach 
who would work with me every, I think it was like every two weeks for 90 minutes. The coach, though, is meant to get you to figure out your own problems. And I was lucky enough that my work paid for it. And I, it's, uh, I thought it was just like therapy, honestly. I don't know how other people had their, their coaches, but the coaches tried to force you to be a better person in your thinking. And then you would leave and, and I always felt really motivated to go out and, and do something else. Uh, but coaching turns out to be even better than mentoring because who, who wouldn't need a personal coach every day? If I had a coach around my house to be like, is that really what you should be doing? Like, could you maybe put down Plants vs. Zombies too? I know the app has been out since 2014, but I just got it, and it's my addiction currently for about an hour and evening. Should you really be doing that? The coach would probably say, you know, you do you. You know, maybe you need a little mental block, but should you really be doing that? And and. Probably not. And I would turn out to be a better person. So if you have like a coach to follow you around, it would be phenomenal. But most of us can just afford our cheapo mentors, who is an army of willing to try to help us become better people. But the mentors lead you. So they say, this is what I would do if I were you. And they're giving advice. Whereas the coaches are, well, what do you think you should do? And I just love that. I also wonder how many people consider their mentors mentors. So I f- got formally asked to be someone's mentor through email a couple weeks ago and was delighted, but I don't think that's normally how it goes. I've had to tell people after years of being my mentor, like, oh yeah, no, you're my mentor. And I don't know if it did surprise them or if they were like, well, duh, I give you lots of life advice and work advice. But there's nothing I love better than a good mentoring learning session. And that goes both ways. When I have a mentee and I hear their questions, oh, it's so good. I could just mentor forever. Like, let's dissect this problem, whatever it is. I was trying to think of like, oh, one question I got asked was, how do you navigate when you get past a a certain work role or a certain work level or what should my next job be? And I'm like, oh, these are great problems. Let's sit here over a cup of coffee and just go in deep. And so the talent development part didn't go into so much of how to be a good mentor, but they did talk about the differences of coaching, mentoring, what sort of discretion you should have. And then we got into the learning part. So I was more into how do people learn and it fits right in with how I see being a lady of leisure. I know we've talked with other people on the podcast about a lady of leisure is sometimes if you live by the word of the week, it's stressful. And when you think of a lady of leisure, they're just lounging on a chaise lounge in their 1890s finery. And our lady of leisure is more of a kick butt get better lady of the modern age. And in this case, I think learning is a huge component. I don't think there's been an episode where there's not someone talking about learning how to do a certain word of the week or a skill or 
they're just constantly working on some hobby of theirs. I know Slajan and I will have sidebar conversations all the time of, I'm going to learn how to do this, or we have a project, and now we're going to learn suddenly how to do this project. And that doesn't mean you don't necessarily ask for help, but in this case, the learning culture was brought up. And I always talk about a lot of the learning I do as outside my job, but the job and many people's jobs take up 40 hours of their work week, if not more. And the question was, how do you get people to learn effectively and how do you get them to apply those? And the skill I just mentioned, learning how to code, I've struggled and they address some of the reasons why I've struggled. One, you can't just read a book. And my go-to on anything is to read books. I've mentioned on the podcast, whenever we've had a word of the week, like nature, it was forest bathing, I read a book. When this seminar pointed out, you would probably have been better reading an article and then going out into a forest and actually doing and experiencing because that's going to stick with you longer. And then having maybe someone guide you through the forest and point out the different smells that are helping give you the good juju feelings. So in this case, if I'm just sitting there as a loner reading a book about how to code in Python, it is probably the least effective way. And they asked everyone, how do you learn? And there was this really charismatic guy. He was probably in his 60s or 70s. He was the chief learning officer for the Air Force, which sounded like an impressive job. But he would rattle off all these books that he wanted to read. And his name is Matt Stafford. And he was like, oh, if you read Terry Doyle's book on, and if you read this book on, so he was just listing off all this research that he had just in his brain but there's the 70 20 10 numbers that you will see people talk about 70% of people learn this way it was supposed to just iterate 90% of learning doesn't happen in the classroom a lot of people either learn how to do it or are trying to figure out why they can't retain it how do you learn so i know i can sit physically in a classroom and absorb a lot But what I have a problem doing is watching a webinar on the computer. And I don't know why it's different. Maybe there's less accountability, like the teacher is like actually in the class. So yesterday, just writing notes and doodles of the material really helped me so that today I could sit here and just rattle off like, oh yeah, like Terry Doyle, and I have all these arrows going around. So it reminded me of how my brain was thinking at that time. And I was able to, and it's only been a day. So that helps. If you ask me in three weeks, am I going to retain it? I'm probably going to remember that one dude and have to refer back to the notes. But he talked about how do you get people you not have to sit for hours in a classroom because people, I think one of the panel members discussed that people's attention is getting shorter and shorter, that an hour, the 40 minutes that you always hear to capture people's attention, 
it's too much. You can't, you can't ask people to focus on that. And like Slajana and I have tried to keep the podcast under 40 minutes because we know that that's a good time frame to get people to listen and not want to, you know, continue on. And they said breaking down into chunk learning. So learning chunks during your day was one way of doing it. And almost every panel I went to discussed in some form YouTube. They said, if you don't know how to do something what's and you're at home, what's the first thing you do? And they use the example of changing a doorknob. You go and find a video on it. And some people have started implementing this at their work, where instead of trying to hunt down the one person that knows how to use that software or make that report or do something like that, instead, there's a captured YouTube video or a like YouTube video. And that's great. It's got like 12 minutes, you know, maybe just to go over something. Hopefully it would be like five minutes to 12 minutes, something like that. And then that gets you an answer, but it doesn't get you that chunk learning. So they said combined with learning something useful at that moment and getting your, your answer, you would have to chunk learn in different ways. So applying on your job, the things So I'll use my example of coding in Python. I can remember it when I have to do a basic exercise, but if I start going to the intermediate levels is when I struggle a lot. By that point, no book is going to help me. If I, however, learned one technique over, you know, let's say 15 minutes, watched a 15 minute video or saw a person doing a project. Let's say it was to do a web scrape of recipes off allrecipes.com that I would want with these ingredients. It's a project that I want, so I'm motivated. I would like to get that data. So that's helpful to not just have an esoteric project. And then I could sit and try to figure it out and then have the gratification of, oh, and this is also not just a project I'm handing in or doing for an assignment for class. It's actually a project that means something to me. They said that helps out a lot. The one problem is some people don't have the capacity to do that work. So if you were to ask me to do the all recipes, well, that has nothing to do with HR. I would have to relate it to HR. I would also have to make sure I have that the tools on my computer to do that. And just, you know, it sounds very easy, like, oh, we'll download the Python software that you need on your computer. But if you work somewhere where you don't have the permissions, hunting it to put stuff on your computer, hunting down that one person might demotivate you to, like, never get this done. So it's, they said the learning culture needs to be there so that these small hurdles that otherwise might drive someone like me and be like, well, guess I'm not going to learn that. Maybe I'll do it tomorrow. The focus culture, the learning culture would have you focus on just learning because the tools and everything else were taken care of. You would also get credit. So someone brought up, well, that's great that you want me to read books and do these videos, but how do I show my boss I did these? And even if you're not applying this at work, Again, Lady of Leisure tries to make it happen anywhere. So if you're at home and you develop a skill 
how do you put that on a resume for later? Or even do you? Are you short selling yourself because you haven't added it on your your resume? And it goes back to the learning culture. So there wasn't really a real finite answer, but competencies kept coming up. So I guess private industry and some government are looking at, well, what's your competency? I don't really care that you learned this off Coursera, which is a giant um, open online class that you can enroll in. And they specialize in data science, leadership, and business strategy classes. But there's a whole wide range. It would be more of saying you have this competency. A competency might be data analysis or human capital acumen. And people could give you a project or a, an assessment, and you should be able to show some level of it so that someone could say, oh, yeah, I don't really care how you learned it, but you you know how to do this. So I don't know how what that looks like in the real world. I know that's where some people are trying to go. It's not the norm yet, though. So if you go to your boss and you're like, I took these three videos and I have this skill now, I don't really know that they are going to be like great. Some are. I've had bosses who are, but you know, I think it's still a little far off. But I thought it was fascinating learning about some of that. And then the last uh, part of the day, there was a Yale professor who came from the Center of Emotional Intelligence. And he had a book called The Permission to Feel. And he was hands down probably one of the best speakers. He was this neurotic little Jewish guy as he described himself and so perfect for emotional intelligence because he thinks about his emotions all the time. He worries that he worries. And for emotional intelligence, he gave the example of you know when you have someone who is good at their job and getting the projects done, but they don't have that personality that you would want to be around. You're just hoping they move on to their next job. And he argued that emotional intelligence is something that is huge and people should be paying more attention to it because it affects every aspect of your life. So an example was if you have a fight with your roommate, your spouse, your kids, or just a fight with someone in general, and then you go to work you're carrying those emotions with you. And if you don't check in and realize that, you could start making hasty decisions or harsh decisions and not realize why. And it can affect other people. And he gave a couple other examples of when a supervisor might walk into a meeting, but you could say, oh, if one of your friends comes to you and has their, you know, just a closed off demeanor about them and is just giving you know, nudgy answers, you, something's wrong, right? And you pick up on that. And depending on your relationship with them, if it's a colleague, you may just be like, stay away from Lisa. She's a bear today. But if it's a friend, you're more apt to treat it maybe a little differently and probe. And his point was, if you don't, if you're not aware of these, and he did a quick point scale. So it was pleasantness on an XY scale an energy on the other scale and asked us 
plus five, minus five on each one. So for pleasantness, if you're enjoying this podcast right now, then your pleasantness is at a plus three. But if you're super enjoying this podcast and you're like, gosh, why doesn't Lisa just come over to my house and just speak all the words to me all the time about what she knows as a lady of leisure? That would be a plus five. Minus five is Gosh, I really wish Lejana would come back so Lisa stops doing these solo podcasts about this nonsense. Negative five. Zero is you're in the middle. So that's pleasantness. And then energy is how, what are your energy levels? Like negative five is I just need to go to sleep right now. I can't even stay up. Plus five is you're ready to take on the world and in a boxing match. And looking at that, he said it's just a quick check-in and he did it by like four quadrants. There isn't anything more to what quadrant are you in and by looking at the colors and he had it in his book permission to feel and words associated with it so I was a plus three plus four so I was in a yellow quadrant um, and the question was asked what is your word meaning what is a word that you're feeling right now associated with that And I was like, oh, motivated, inspired, excited, you know, all that stuff. And 75% of the room couldn't voice how they felt with a word. And I was like, gosh, that's weird. And apparently this is more related to emotional intelligence. You could feel the emotions. No one had any problem figuring out where they were plus minus. But talking about their emotions was hard to just even put a word to it. And so at the front of his book, he has the four quadrants and he has like words all over the place with them so that you could then see what some of the words were. And I found this fascinating. And one and he went over all of the studies about people being stressed at work, anxious at work, and a couple of things that I thought were interesting, especially for listeners, ladies of leisure, lords of leisure. We talk about being happy. If you start reading these happiness books or self-help books about being happy, they can start to really bring you down a little bit. I know I've run into that. If I start getting on too many self-help books, I'm like, oh gosh, I can't be doing all the things. And I thought that too, there was a a tweet or an Instagram, I think it was an Instagram because it was a picture that one of the moms that I follow posted. And she's like, so I'm supposed to meditate, do yoga, clean, get food on the table, pack lunches, think about my thoughts, be mindful, make a gratitude list, go and pick up kids, you know, go to lunch, you know, collaborate with my coworkers, network with my friends, and all all these things, and make sure I get eight hours of sleep. She's like, that's overwhelming, and no wonder I don't have time, and I'm stressed. I think that's very true. Because trying to be happy can often stress you out. And that's what a lot of people find. And so his definition was instead of being happy, you should go for being emotionally balanced. So you shouldn't always be in the yellow. I was very excited. He's like blue and red were the two colors where it's more on the negatives. And that's when you start to get sad morose was one of the words that I absolutely loved or high energy but still upset and he's like you should have these because they're important too they indicate that you're emotionally balanced you shouldn't just be what they were finding was people were having 
those type of emotions, the red and blues, where it's high or low energy, but in the more negative pleasantness, 80% of the time. And those would be like stressed and anxious, like I had said. And 30 or 20% of the time, they were having the happy, excited, motivated. I think it's a lot easier to think emotionally balanced than to be happy. Because to be happy means that you're in high pleasantness and high energy. I've been tracking my moods and energy levels for, it's probably been a few months, probably over like four months. I am a highly energetic person, but when there are lows, they hit low really hard. And I would say that's probably at least once every couple weeks. I just go through a cycle where there's like a three to four day uh, slump. And if you just know that that's going to be the case, I think before I was started tracking, I didn't know, then that's my emotion balance coming in. They're like, you can't stay at this high all the time. You got to bring it down. And it's not to say that I'm depressed. It's just, I'm not going to be high energy Lisa anymore uh, for the next like three days. It's going to be like, we're doing it. We're staying alive. Everything's good. I can, you know, get some energy, but I'd rather be sitting on the couch binge watching TV. What would you consider your emotional intelligence? We also talk a lot about creativity and what they find is you just need to have an average IQ to be creative, but creative people have a really high emotional intelligence. And I think that plays in a lot of it. And so the permission to feel is being able to express your emotions or at least be in tune to them. Because a couple of people in the audience said, listen, I don't have a boss that's really great at emotional intelligence, so I don't see me applying any of this. And the speaker basically said, well, you don't have to apply this for them. You should just be aware of yourself so that you can, you know, monitor and keep yourself in check. It's, it's starts with you. Other thing that he pointed out, which me and Slajin have talked a lot on this podcast. We talk about mindfulness and gratitude and all things. He said, disappointment and anger, if you had to define, and we took like a five-minute exercise to do this, what is the psychological difference between the two? Disappointment is unmet expectations. They're your unmet expectations. Anger is you're perceiving an injustice. That person got something because of nepotism or they, but they didn't deserve it. You deserve it. Unmet expectation is, or the disappointment is, ah, well, I'm sad I didn't get it, but it's, it's not an, an injustice. It's just, you're, you're disappointed. You didn't get it. You'll try again next year, but you wish you had gotten it. Mindfulness doesn't always help with a lot of these things. So he was at a school, the speaker, and they were finding that a lot of people were saying they were stressed, but they were actually more envious. And that was leading to stress. Like they would see, and he's at Yale. So he pointed out these people would see their colleagues already have a job set up. They don't have to worry about everything. You know, their dad hooked them up or like they have a better car and they're doing all this cross comparison. And he, he asked the counseling center if they noticed they had, and so they run a yoga class. And he was like, well, that, that doesn't solve that problem. And I thought, you know, how many times have I 
trying to do something because it's supposed to work for me and it's not working. I found that with meditation. I have tried meditation in all the ways with the apps and everything. And it's just not, it's not helpful. Instead, I've relied upon just sitting with my dog Yara and having just a little quiet time. I don't, meditation just wasn't doing it for me. The point of all this, again, Talent Development Day led to a lot. There was the emotional intelligence we just went over, learning, and then the mentor coaching and and getting all the skills. I just wanted to share because the whole point of the day was to better other people. Like this was geared towards me as an HR person with the workforce. But I found it like, oh, as a lady of leisure um, or lord of leisure, I was thinking a lot about how do I fix this. Uh, So I just wanted to share some of these things that I found out on this amazing solo podcast of Ladies of Leisure. Hopefully next week we will have Slojana back. In fact, I will make sure Slojana is back for all the people that miss her. I miss her as well. Follow us on the Instagram. Part of our post-summer is to get a little bit more proactive on Instagram with fun tips and some other fun pictures. So far, it's just been my dog, Yoda, because she's a fun lady. Reach out to us. We want to engage a lot more. Some of the most fun part of the guest speaker series was getting to hear from other people. I really hope that doesn't stop. So feel free to engage with us um, through Dick direct messages, um, contact at ladiesofleisure.net. If you really feel the need to get your Sljana on because you've missed her for so long, you can follow her on Instagram. Both me and her have our own personal um, Insta accounts and you can ask to follow us. You can find those in the ladies underscore of underscore leisure underscore pod in our bio. So feel free to do that. And as always, LOL.